Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. So this show, Death, Sex, and Money, are, are you familiar with it? Familiar with those three concepts. Sure. Well, basically, together, together, it's together. A surprise to me. Yeah. <laughs> this is death, sex, and money. I'm not afraid of death. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. Don't have sex. And need to talk about more. The main thing about money, bud, it makes you do things you don't want to do. I'm Anna Sale. Here this week with a special, unscheduled podcast episode. Surprise! In some ways, the podcasting world is huge and expansive. I'm hearing from folks in India, South Africa, the UK. But in other ways, it can feel very small, like you're part of a special club. Here at Death, Sex, and Money, I'm still figuring out where we fit in all this. But if you were to draw a Venn diagram of all the various podcasting scenes, Scott Ackerman and Kulap Vilaysak would be very close to the center of it all. <laughs> Kulap and her husband Scott both have comedy podcasts on Earwolf. Scott co-founded that podcasting network. He also hosts Comedy Bang Bang as a podcast and now as a television show, too. Whatever the platform, it's a show that mocks the interview format. This is so exciting. My very first question for my very first guest. I've been thinking a lot about what to ask, so here we go. How do you juggle work and family? Oh, uh, well, that's, you know, it's hard sometimes, but um, it's... <laughs> yes, his humor does make um, you know, me a little self-conscious. Kulop's podcast is called Who Charted? It's a show with a lot of cracking wise about the week's top charts in pop culture. Unlike her husband, Kulop will go anywhere with listeners, into her neuroses, her inner demons, her disappointments in life. And she's not always playing for a joke. Like, she's twice been a guest on the podcast called Mental Illness Happy Hour. Like, after all the things that I've been dealing with in the last three years, which is the mental abuse, the emotional, the, phys the sexual, the physical abuse, like, I really haven't even chipped away at the gambling, my mom's gambling addiction. Kulop's working on a film about her family now called Origin Story. Her parents were refugees from Laos, and it's about her strained relationship with her mother, the father who raised her, and the man Kulop later found out is her biological father. She's raising money for it through an Indiegogo campaign that ends this week. All these years, I've been running away from my past. Now, I'm finally ready to run towards it. From my home in Los Angeles, to where I grew up in Minnesota, to Laos where I'll find my birth father. So Scott and Kulop are a little different. Scott's a little buttoned up, and she'll take her listeners anywhere. They told me they don't listen to each other's podcast. But theirs is a relationship that's endured. They've been together since 1999. When you met, you were 18, Kulop, and you were 28, Scott? <laughs> oh, boy. Try to make it sound less creepy. <laughs> I can hear the judgment in your voice. <laughs> no, I'm just... Not... Okay, we met... I, I used to hang out at the bus station, the Hollywood bus station, and I would just be looking for girls with a dream. <laughs> and... I was coming from Minnesota. 
You were, I mean, you just moved to the West Coast, right? That's right. Uh, I was 18, and uh, we met at a Mr. Show taping. I was a writer on a television program, HBO's Mr. Show, and Kulop's roommate knew one of the other writers, so she came to a taping, and I met her. That's right. But... We didn't begin our love affair till a year later. I thought dating, yeah, an 18-year-old would be untoward. So I waited until she was 19. <laughs> he did dump me when I was 21, but we got back together when I was 22, 23. How long did the breakup last? I think about like a year, year and a half. It was about two. a year. No, it was just like a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I dumped her. Hard. Just, just <laughs> threw my heart on the ground, no, stomped on it. That is exactly on. what happened. We split. We split. It was a mutual thing. No, it wasn't. I said I wanted to break up. and I disagreed. <laughs> uh, because I was so young, I didn't know what I was doing. And I really, I realized that I, uh, I became very dependent on him. By the time we got back together, I thought it was over. And in that time, I learned how to be more independent. Like, what's, what specifically, when you think about that time, like, what was different when you got back together that, that hadn't been a dynamic that you had before? I think it's important, like, when you, like, sit at the figurative table that you bring, uh, you talk about different things. My interests were embarrassingly mainly him, so I didn't really have much to add. Yeah, I think when I first met Kulap, she would, she seemed like a really interesting person with different interests and that's what I really liked about her and then slowly she started to just kind of assimilate into my life and kind of not want to do much more than whatever I was doing. I think I read when I was younger that the best relationships are ones where the two people have really interesting separate things going on and then they, when they meet at the end of the day they can talk about them and be excited to see each other. I think we broke up because that wasn't happening at the time. Um, I was working, and then I would come home and find that Kulap had broken into my apartment. Look, that happened one time. Don't make it a big deal. <laughs> Just so she could hang out <laughs> and smell my clothes. <laughs> so you broke up, but then you, Scott, what pulled you back towards Kulap? Well, she, she, like she said, she really started developing her own interests and and became, you know, another just sort of rediscovered her her interesting self in a way. Even though we have, you know, podcasts, they're both very different. And mm-hmm. Kulap is off doing hers, and I don't really know what she's up to when she's off doing it. And she doesn't yeah. know what I do with mine. We and, don't listen to each other's podcasts. No. <laughs> <laughs> So the reason I wanted to talk to you two together is you kind of intrigue me as a couple because, Kulop, I know a lot about your background and your family history and the story that you are putting together and exploring for your documentary. And, Scott, you're sort of everywhere, but I know very little about your inner life and your family history. That's us to a nutshell. <laughs> like it's a good. What's what are Scott and Coolop like? <laughs> That's a statement, by the way. That was not a question. So I'm <laughs> just because I'm being silent doesn't mean I'm evading it. <laughs> I mean, does it feel like that, Scott? Are you less comfortable, you know, making your own narrative part of your your public profile? 
Well, I think the shows that I do, especially the TV show, there's really no place for it in the TV show. I'm playing a character on the TV show. I'm playing a fictionalized version of myself with a fictionalized wife and family. I think I'm much more um, relevatory on the podcast that I do. I think Mm -hmm. you get a better sense of my personalities. So it's not that I really evade it. Um, It's just in most cases, the art that I'm doing this silly sketch TV show. It's not really based on the truth of my personality. Yeah. Cool up. Why did you say that that feels like it encapsulates some dynamic about you, too? It speaks a lot to how we how we enter a room. Scott is very um, warm, but he is more, you know, more reserved where I come in sort of like a yellow lab. Um. (laughs) That's not an Asian Reference, by the it way. It could have been a black lab. Okay, well. <laughs> no, I think Kulap's podcast, she's very revealing of herself, and that's why people really respond to it. I have also done other podcasts that go kind of more in-depth into the past, and all of those things made me realize that I wanted to tell origin story. So let's talk about origin story. You were born in, in Washington, D.C., but your your family immigrated from Laos. You grew up in Minnesota, and yours was not a happy childhood. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, I mean there were there were moments of happiness um, and fun, but my parents uh, were immigrants. What they went through was uh, was a lot to get to America, um, Laos. This was post war, and been very young in a new country. My my mom was twenty when uh, she had me. So there was a lot of like cultural issues between my parents and I. I grew up in, in two sort of environments at night. It would be traditional Lao and, and at school it would be American and the, there was always conflict. And you grew up working in your mom's restaurant. I sure did. I was a, let's see, uh, let's see, I was uh, washing dishes around seven, eight, and then I was a waitress at 11. And she was also taking the money down to the bank. (laughs) She would be charged with carrying the day's deposit bag, like clearly a deposit bag. Yeah, like like, blocks away to the bank. Oh, yeah. How old were you? I was like, uh, I think I was like five, five, six, just skipping, (laughs) skipping down Minneapolis. Not in the greatest part of town. I think, to be fair, I think I was probably six, six or seven. <laughs> That's really different. And then you left when you, as soon as you could, right out of high school. Couldn't have left faster. 18, like I graduated end of June and by July, I think July 5th, I was in, I started school. And why did you want to go so far? Uh, I was probably uh, responsibly running away. I have two younger sisters. I love them so much. They're 9 and 11 years younger than me, but I I was in charge of, uh, I took care of them. I was like a second mother, and it was a lot of pressure on top of the fact that, like, my mom and I just did not get along. And she always threatened, if you didn't like, if you don't like my rules, then leave. So I did. Why did you want to make a movie about your family at this point in your life? Um, I've been trying to think of some way to tell a story about my family. Um, these like extremely lovable but flawed people. And, and I include myself in that description. And to be clear, your 
your story is you had a difficult relationship with your mom. You've talked about some physical abuse, some emotional abuse. And as a teenager, you found out that the man who you thought was your father is not, in fact, your biological father. That's right. I was 14. I always uh, I, I just preferred my dad. I thought I looked like my dad. I got along better with my dad. And they got in another horrible fight. I defended him. She looked at me and said, why are you defending him? He's not your real dad. And that's how I found out. And is this the the first time since then that you've really kind of dug in and, and tried to establish a relationship with your biological father? It is. It is the first time. I was told that he didn't want anything to do with me for fear that I would want child support for him, from him. When I first met Kulab and she told me the story, she said that if he ever showed up at the door, she would slam it in his face and not ever talk to him. And then over the years, I think trying to figure out what happened made her realize that, wow, maybe some of the stuff I was told is not true. Yeah, and my mom has a very fluid relationship with the truth. Um, And, you know, as the years have gone by, she's become less and less reliable. She has a gambling addiction there. Um, And so, you know, and it's it's, it's the weird thing, the truth. It's it's that I'm kind of just looking for, I just need to see for myself. So, Scott, you've watched Kulop go through this. Will you be in the film? I mean, if I survive the final edit, I imagine I'll be in the film. I'm not a huge part of the film other than just kind of talking about our experiences together. I mean, you're a huge presence in the film because this movie is also about family and you're my family now. Has it come up in your marriage? You know, how you've worked through what your relationship is to to the family that you came from, Kulop? Has it come up uh, between Scott and I? Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> like in what ways? Like were you were you at all hesitant to commit to someone for a lifetime, knowing that having people in your past with whom you had a frayed sense of trust? Yeah, absolutely. Even though maybe <clears throat> outwardly it seemed like that's all I wanted, uh, I think inwardly just, you know, not having a great example of marriage um, – having a lot of trust issues and more than anything, having intimacy issues. Um, I think Kulap also developed uh, a temperament wherein she's quick to anger mm -hmm. um, from her mother um, and very defensive about stuff. So I think that it took a while to sort of break that down. And when we first started going out, our communication skills were way different than they are now. I think Kulap has done a lot of work on herself, you know, over the years of like figuring out how she feels about stuff and how to communicate. Yeah. And not like I'm the only problem person in our relationship, but I did realize, <laughs> quit making that face, <laughs> quit making that face, <laughs> that uh, through therapy, various therapies, that it's like all I can do is sort of take care of my side. I did learn better communication skills. I think I'm able more to draw to get you to talk more about your feelings. That is something that I have done, Scott. No comment. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. What sort of role do you have in your family where you came, in the family you grew up in? I grew up in Orange County, uh, California, 
I have a pretty traditional family uh, in the sense of, you know, traditionally uh, United States of America family, suburban existence where I have a mother and a father who have been married for 50 years next year. They have three children and very stable church going. You know, I grew up in that type of environment, which is really interesting because I think that when Kulap comes over and visits my family, I think she can stand it way more than I can because it's <laughs> not something that she's really grown up in. So I think um, – Yeah, but it's like there's drama, but it's like you just – It's all emotional drama. Yeah, you, yes. And you guys don't really raise voices like my family. You yeah. guys are at a lower volume. Yeah. There's a lot of drama in my family, but it is a very, you know, supportive family. And it's a couple of people who have decided through thick and through thin to stay together. You know, that's a decision that these people made. And it's not something that they um, take lightly. Hmm. When you decided to get married, Scott, was your parents' marriage a model for you? I think so. Uh, Ten years ago... Actually, I made a, a documentary film about them, a short documentary about 15 minutes about their marriage and about how they met. I didn't really know that much about them. And it was really enlightening for me. And then part of the film, I talked to them about what they viewed marriage to be. You know, it may not be something that makes them happy all the time, but it's something that they decided to do. But you're happy all the time now. Constantly happy. No, I mean, people do say to me, what's the secret of marriage? And I say it's be married to Kulop. Oh, you're so cute. The secret to being married might be marrying Kulop, but a secret of marriage is how much you start to feel like family. And if you think it can be hard to draw boundaries with your family, it's even harder with in-laws. Figuring out that line of how to support your partner as he or she negotiates an adult relationship with their family can be tricky. I've been thinking about this a lot because my parents are about to be new in-laws. I'm getting married. And nothing makes you think about the ways your families interact more than planning a wedding. More on that to come for sure. But on the next episode, we get back to the regular cycle with Dominique Foxworth, a former NFL player who used to lead the Players Union. And at a time when a lot of football fans are feeling disappointed, he talks about the ways his sport let him down. This is Death, Sex, and Money. I'm Anna Sale. Scott Ackerman is supremely deadpan as a comedian. Always seems like he's nodding to the audience that, yes, he's not taking this too seriously either. But he got his start in show business in the most earnest and committed form of artistry there is, musical theater. I loved musical theater because I love singing. And uh, that said, I think it was a real challenge for me as an actor to be that just emotionally bare. They they say that when you sing a song in a musical, it's because the emotions are overflowing to the point where words are no longer enough and you have to sing them. <laughs> and <laughs> so that was, I think, a challenge for me as an actor. I mean, I, I only did it until I was 22 or so just because I had a love for the art form. And, you know, I did do 
certain roles like Curly in Oklahoma. And I think, you know, I sort of tried to break through those um, walls as an actor. I mean, especially physically for me, because I'm I'm a very tall person. I've always sort of being tall and thin growing up, you know, I, I'm not the most, you know, I don't flail my body around very comfortably. Huh. <laughs> so to be on stage and just sort of have to do choreography and like really just even open up my arms, they're so long and lanky. I just, you know, w- w- growing up always felt uh, very insecure about that. So I think those were my main challenges in, in musical theater. So it's something you love, but just kind of physically is not it's not your your natural inclination, but you're drawn to it. I'm really lucky because the job I have now, I get to sit in a chair for approximately (laughs) three quarters of the show. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, just being as tall as I am, it's just just, you know, anytime I'm standing next to someone in a picture, people go, oh, wow, you're really tall. You know, it just makes you feel insecure about it. Like, you know, you're not normal. So I always think that actors who are short have it better. You know, like Tom Cruise has it really great because he's just got this wiry, compact frame that looks great in a picture. Meanwhile, I, I'm towering. I'm like three Tom Cruises stacked on top of each other. <laughs> you act like you're a giant. <laughs> Kulab, you have talked about being ready to start a family. Yes. Are you trying to start a family now? We are. If you're talking about having sex, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, sister. When you've talked together about what kind of parents you want to be at a time when both of your careers are are expanding at a sort of very rapid clip, how do you talk about how your family will work? Mm. I there's a word that I love absentee. Oh jeez, <laughs> <I think laughs> jeez. If I could describe it, jeez. no, I. You know, I think I'm trying to cram a lot of work. Uh, into my life right now to sort of get a lot of it out of the way. That said, I don't think either of us will stop working. But, um, you know, you can either really slow down or you can not slow down at all. And I think, you know, I respect the people who don't slow down. Everyone grew up with parents with a career, usually, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. kids understand their parents need to work. So you don't have to be there holding their hand every second of the day, I think. So I, th- I think it'll be like any family. But who... I think, Scott, what will change is there will be a desire to want. Sure. To hold that hand. Yeah. As much as possible. Sure. And is that how you think about motherhood, cool up in similar terms? Um, How do I think about motherhood? I think about it in terms, naturally, my own upbringing and wanting to do better. I think about... I don't know. I think about Christmases. That's what I think about with a kid. I think about firsts and stuff. That's, That's only one day a year. You got to think about more than that. <laughs> I'm struck that you mentioned Christmases because that to me says that you're thinking a lot about the, the rituals and a, and a sort of stability in your family, you know, and creating tradition and what that looks like for you, too. That's absolutely right. For me, this documentary origin story is sort of getting a handle on the past, basically, to start a new future with Scott and hopefully our child. Like, it's very much I want to put an end chapter into what my life has been to start anew. Stability. Yeah, I think I think Kulap was um, has always been very worried about how she'll act with our kids and trying to make sure that she doesn't do what 
her mother did with her. You know, I, I think Kulop's going to be a great mom. I still struggle so much with just wishing that the past was different. Like I still, you know, even after all all the therapy, even after traveling miles, I still it's still it's still very difficult for me. What kind of relationship do you have with your mother now? It's kind of non-existent. Um, we haven't spoken much since I. Uh, I think we last spoke in June, but. Um, I think your mom follows what you do. Literally on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh-huh. And she listens to your podcast. Yep. Yep. She does. So she knows how you publicly, you know, how, how you tell the story of your growing up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, now this very private thing is public, and now they know a little bit more of where I'm coming from. Um, and I was really nervous about that. Scott, do you have a relationship with Kulop's parents? I know them. Um, and, you know, we've gone back to their house for holidays and for graduations. Um, I think her mom is is really funny. And I She's like super funny. I like her mom as a person. And if so, if she were to want help, I think that we would we would really want to be there for her but the kind of help she that wants, she, she wants, wants right money. now is she she wants money <laughs> she wants a lifeline so she wants just an account from our account straight into mystic lake casino that's what she wants it's hard to have a relationship with that kulap Vilaisak and scott ackerman scott's podcast and ifc show are both called comedy bang bang Kulop's podcast is Who Charted, and the Indiegogo campaign for her documentary about her family origin story runs through September 19th. Death, Sex, and Money is a production of WNYC. The team includes Emily Botin, James Ramsey, Jessica Miller, Chris Bannon, and Jim Briggs. And thank you to the first-ever Death, Sex, and Money intern, Henry Malofsky. We wish you the very best. The Reverend John DeLore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. We're on Facebook. Go like our page. I'm on Twitter at Anna Sale. And if you enjoy Death, Sex, and Money, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you to both of you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. For your time. (laughs) You're welcome. We both took the exact same amount of time. So (laughs) thank you. So our thank yous cancel each other out. We are at zero. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Neither of us owes each other any favors. (laughs) 